So I always like to begin the new year with a message series that's appropriate as we look at 2019. And so I've been asking myself the question, what is that one thing that would make the most difference? What is that one thing that we can do that would be most significant in this new year? What's the one thing that we could talk about that has the potential to revolutionize our church culture? Uh, Is it a new uh, leadership idea? Is it a new process? Is it a new organizational structure? I mean, what's the one thing that will help us grow and thrive more than anything else? What's the one thing that will help our church grow and thrive like nothing else? What's the one thing that will help our marriages thrive? What's the one thing that would help us as individuals have a more redemptive presence in our world? And the more I thought, and the more I read through Scripture, the more I came to realize it's it's prayer. The answer is regular, specific, fervent, and persistent prayer. Years ago, I heard John Ortberg say something that was so um, simple, really, but yet it had an impact on my life. He said, prayer is dynamic because prayer changes what is possible. And that's really the, the teaching you find all through Scripture. Prayer really does change the possibilities. I believe the Apostle Paul believed this. And so in Colossians chapter 4 and and verse 2, he asked those Colossian Christians to pray for him. He says, pray for a door to be opened so that I might proclaim the gospel clearly. You see, Paul believed that if the people of God would come together and pray specifically and fervently, doors that were shut would swing open. He asked that they would pray that he might proclaim the gospel as clearly as he should. He he really believed that if the people of God would come together and pray, it would somehow affect not only his preaching, but it would somehow affect how other people heard his preaching. That his preaching would be more clear and more cogent and much more powerful if the people of God would pray. Prayer changes what's possible. And so because I believe this, for the next three weeks, we're going to be involved in a message series that I'm calling simply, Ask, Seek, and Knock. And what I want to do is I want us to look at what I believe are three stages, if you will, of of prayer. And it grows right out of the scripture we read a few moments ago, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us some profound things about prayer. And so he says to us, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so the first stage, if you will, and most basic stage of prayer is is what I'm describing as as asking. James, the Lord's brother, said in James chapter 4 and verse 2, ask, you do not have, rather, because you do not ask God. And so that's what we're going to think about for just a moment uh, in in a little bit. But the second stage 
of prayer is, is seeking. Asking and seeking. Prayer begins as we ask God for, for that, what we need. Ask Him for those things that are on our hearts. But our prayer life deepens as we come to understand that prayer is about seeking God, ultimately. It's not, prayer is not a means to an end. Prayer is the end in and of itself. Prayer is that way that we draw closer to God. You see, in the deepest places in our hearts, we're not desperate for something. We're desperate for someone. It's here that we begin to seek God. Not merely because God is useful, but we seek God because God is beautiful. We long to be near God. This year, my dad, in 2018, last year, uh, my dad turned uh, 80. He's moving into his 80s. And so, um, you know, my dad has reached this point in his life um, where he talks a lot about his own sense of mortality. And I guess those of you who are in your 80s, I guess you you start thinking about that. And it really can be a healthy thing. He said forever he would buy a new car. My dad likes a new car. And and he's been saying the last... Three new cars. He'd say, son, this is the last new car I'm going to get. And I'll say, dad, I think you got another new car or two in you. You know, he, he's the guy who says, you know, hey, I, I'm at, I've reached a stage in my life where I just, let's just, you got to understand, I don't buy my bananas green when I go to the grocery store. I mean, I, I don't do that. And so I don't know how many years I'll have with dad. I don't know how many Christmases I'll have with dad. This Christmas was very special because I got to be with my dad. And there's this sense in which that's what prayer is like. Prayer is that opportunity when we get to be near our Father. And so prayer is very important. It's about seeking. That's the the second stage of prayer. It's, It's seeking our Heavenly Father. Asking, seeking, and then the third stage of prayer is is knocking. Knock and the door will be open to you. This stage is all about contending. It's about interceding. This is the stage that I would describe as the hard work of praying. It's here that we learn to persist in our praying. Now, you know, we're part of a culture that loves instant gratification. I mean, we want things yesterday. We don't like to wait. You know that Janet and I uh, dated uh, about a year and a half before I finally had the good sense to ask her to marry me. And so after I finally asked her to, to marry me, in my mind, I thought, I thought we would, you know, take six months to plan the wedding and then maybe have three or four months, you know, you set a date, get married, about a year in, in, in the distance. And so I asked her after we got engaged, when do you want to get married? She said, two weeks, two weeks. We got married two weeks later. We don't like to wait. And yet the thing we've got to understand about God is God never gets in a hurry. I love the old preacher statement, God never gets gets in a hurry until he runs to meet a sinner. I I love that statement. But God, for the most part, he, he takes his time. He doesn't get in a hurry. And yet we're people who are in a hurry. And yet this third stage of praying is when we, we persist We don't give up. We knock on the door. You know, when my kids persist in asking me something, what that tells me as a dad is 
is that's important to them. It's, it's on their hearts. And so when something's important to us, we, we knock on that door. You know, if you have a child that's far from God, you persist in prayer. You, you come before God and you ask God, God, open their hearts to the gospel. If you are struggling right now because you don't have a job and the bills are pi- piling up, you persist in prayer. If your child is sick, you persist in prayer. There are those moments when we bloody our knuckles on the, on the door of God asking Him to open the door. And we're going to talk about that in that third message. But today, I want us to talk about the most basic stage of praying. I want us to talk about asking. And so let me, let me get you to imagine something in your minds as we begin our message today. Can you imagine Jesus smiling or laughing? Can you imagine our Lord uh, telling a story that was humorous? Can you imagine Jesus having this big smile on his face as he's just heard something that his disciples said or did and he's just filled with joy from head to toe? I hope you can because Jesus shows us how to live. And one of the things about Jesus is Jesus has given us this gift of laughter. The picture you see on the screen right now is my favorite picture of Jesus. And if you Google laughing Jesus, you'll find pictures just like this. Of course, we don't know what Jesus looked like. But I can imagine Jesus with a big smile on his face because Jesus was filled with joy. And we all love to laugh. We love to experience joy, don't we? There are a lot of elements, I'm told, to humor, and clearly I am no expert. You've heard way too many of my attempts at sermon humor to accuse me of being an expert in the field. But I'm told by those who know that there are a couple of elements to humor. And one is exaggeration, and the other is absurdity. You know, when we have this exaggerated image in our mind, or this absurd image in our mind, we we find that humorous. Jerry Seinfeld is, is brilliant in his observational style of humor. He just finds humor, he finds funny things by just looking at, at life and looking at how people interact with one another. Seinfeld once said, you know, a, a two-year-old is kind of like having a blender, but you don't have a top for it. <laughs> and as parents, we, we smile and giggle at that a little bit because We've experienced two-year-olds, and we've seen how messy they can be. We, we've seen what, what they can do. That statement uses both exaggeration and it uses absurdity. Well, it's fascinating to me that Jesus, in his ministry, he was so compelling in his speaking and leading because he used both of those elements in his teaching. Of course, the classic example is found in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus asks this interesting question. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, we read that statement, and we just read over it real quickly without thinking how that would have been heard by those first century hearers. I mean, absurdity and exaggerations used all over that statement. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust? Jesus has imagined, here's a guy, he's got a little teeny tiny speck of sawdust right in the kind of the corner of his eye. And what's he doing? He's all concerned about that guy. You know, he's, he's all, he's, he's got, you know, he's got a little speck of sawdust and there's some guy who's all concerned about him and he's got this what? This two by four sticking out of his eye. Jesus is using absurdity 
He's using exaggeration to make his point about not judging others. Well, Jesus does a very similar thing with regard to prayer. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, just a few verses below the verses I've referred to, he asks the question, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? Now, the very thought of that is, is crazy. When his first audience would have heard this statement of Jesus, they may have cocked their head just a little bit, and they would have smiled and maybe even giggled at Jesus' statement. I mean, we can't imagine a parent doing that, can we? And then Jesus gets to the punchline. He says in verses 9 and 10, or 11 and 12 rather, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If earthly fathers who were tainted by evil in this fallen, broken world, couldn't think of doing that to their own kids. Imagine what a good and righteous and holy God would do. Imagine how he treats us. And so this morning, as we begin thinking about prayer and thinking about asking things of God, we need to understand that a healthy understanding of our Heavenly Father should lead to a healthy understanding of prayer. Or to say it another way, what we believe about God should shape the way we pray to God. And so if our dominant view in our mind of God is that God is distant and disinterested, then we're probably not going to spend a whole lot of time in prayer. If we have this sense in our, in our hearts that, that God is somehow angry at us, that God is somehow put out with us, I, I doubt seriously if a lot of us will, will spend time developing, nurturing our relationship with God in prayer. If we have this sense that God really can't be trusted, that God never comes through, then more than likely that's going to impact how much time we spend on our knees speaking to our Father. And as we think about prayer, the word that Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6 and here in this passage in Matthew 7 is a word that's, that's so powerful and so loaded with emotion, but it's a word that should affect how we pray, and it's the word Father. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, here's how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then here in Matthew chapter 7, when he's talking about coming before God and asking things of him, he uses an analogy about a father. Prayer, in its most basic sense, is asking things of our father. And Jesus says to us, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those ask him. Now, I know at the very outset, some of you in this room, as I start talking about the fatherhood of God, some of you were raised in a home and you didn't have a very good father. Maybe you were raised and your father was just absent. He wasn't around much. 
Or maybe you were raised and your father was abusive. Or perhaps some of you were raised, your father was, was really angry. I don't, I don't know what your earthly father is like, but here's what I want to counsel you. I want to encourage you not to let that image, that picture of your earthly father adversely affect the picture of our heavenly father. Because all through scripture we have this picture of God as father And God is loving and kind and generous. Psalm 100 verse 5 says, The Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Our God is good. Our God is love. And our God is faithful. God is the very definition of good. And so one of the things I know about a good father is a good father is generous. You know, when I go and and visit my dad, one of the things about my father is he's constantly trying to give me things. So I'll go visit my dad, and I'll walk in, and dad will say to me, Hey, Kev, I I got this new shirt for Christmas. I think it would really fit you. Here, I'd like for you to have it. And I'll say, No, no, dad, it's it's your shirt. You got that for Christmas. Hey, I've got three others kind of like it here. I want you to have it. We'll go out to eat. And to this day, my dad's in his 80s. To this day, I, I can't pay. He will not let me pay. On those few occasions when the check comes and I, you know, look at the waiter and I wink at the waiter and I kind of nod for him to give me the check, if I get the check, my dad's going to fight me for it. I mean, I am not going to get out of there with that check. He is going to pay. My dad is generous to me. My dad is generous around the holidays. He's generous to my kids. There are those moments when, when, you know, I've given my children money and they're getting ready to go to college and, you know, they've got enough to travel and I'll see my dad off in the corner and he's got his wallet out and there he is, he's pulling out of, you know, he's trying to give $50 to Reed. Here you go, Reed, I want you to have this for this, you know, for college and, you know, you'll need a little extra. He's generous. Our Heavenly Father is incredibly generous. In describing God, Jesus says, how much more Will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? What I want you to know is God loves to give good gifts to His kids. He gives good gifts to those who ask Him. Prayer in its most basic form is when we speak to our heavenly Father and tell Him what's on our hearts. Have you ever been in a situation where you ask someone for too little years ago when i was living in jackson i was working with my alma mater and i was trying to raise some money for a scholarship fund for this particular college and i set up a meeting with this one gentleman in our church that was he was really quite wealthy he was a very generous wealthy individual so i set up a meeting with him and i was having lunch and i was laying out what i was working on and i was trying to raise money for this scholarship fund and he cut me off mid-sentence, and he asked a question I wasn't fully prepared for. He, he cut me off about halfway through my spiel, and then he said, Kevin, how much money do you need? How much money do you need? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? I should have been thinking about how much money I needed until that moment, but I hadn't really considered it. And, and so suddenly I'm thinking, how much money should I ask him? What should I say? He seems pretty eager to make a contribution to the scholarship fund. So I thought to myself, I will think, what's the largest amount of money that's just some kind of crazy amount? I said, well, we need, we need $2,000. 
He pulled out his personal checkbook. He wrote me a $2,000 check like I could write a $20 check. And the whole time he's writing the check, I'm thinking to myself, I've not asked for enough. I should have asked for a little bit more. And so, you know, I'm thinking I should say, did I say 2000 I, I meant 20000 Did I, I meant to say, could you add another, could you add another zero? Sometimes I'm convinced we ask too little of our Father. We have a God who is generous. We have a God who wants to give good gifts to His kids. And so we come before Him as children. I like how Luke renders this same passage. Luke, in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13 says, How much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Did you notice the subtle but yet important difference that, that Luke makes? Instead of the more generic, um, give good gifts, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Luke says, how much more will, the Holy, will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Luke says God is so generous that He gives us the greatest gift of all. He gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. What an awesome gift. God gives us His very presence. What a present. A good Father is generous. And you know as well as I that the older we get, the more we desire just to be present, just to be with those that we love. Kevin White, a couple of Sundays ago in his communion comments from this space, was talking about gifts, talking about the gifts of Christmas. And one of the things he said, and I thought it was so good, he said, you know, the greatest gift, it's just presence. It's when we can be with one another. You know, eternity is this moment where we're with each other forever. And we don't get on each other's nerves. I'm convinced of that. We're with one another for eternity, enjoying, enjoying presence. You know, some grandparents in this room, you know... The time with your grandkids or the time with your kids over the holidays, it went entirely too fast. It came on a Thursday, they're leaving on Saturday or Sunday, and oh, it went just like that, and it was so good. God, the Father, is such a generous Father. He gives his, the gift of His presence. But there's something else. A good Father always listens, and He always answers. See, we're often distracted and, t and tired, and, and sometimes we don't listen very well. I, I know that's, that's me. Sometimes we're not present. Sometimes we get distracted by social media or distracted by, by work or distracted by a, a million other things. And yet God the Father, He gives attention to His kids. Now, I know sometimes it might seem like God is distant. It might, might feel like God isn't really listening or isn't present, but I want you to know He is. I love how positive this passage is. Jesus says, ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find knock. Just knock, and the door's going to be opened. God always listens, and He always answers. The late Billy Graham once remarked, I have answered every request my children have made to me. The answer has not always been what they wanted, but it's always been in accordance with what I thought was best for them at the time. That's what a good father does. Our Heavenly Father always, He always listens and He always answers. I have confidence in my praying because I have confidence in my Father. 
God is not only good when he gives good gifts, but God is good when in his divine sovereignty he says sometimes no to the things we may think are best from our limited wisdom and perspective. But God always listens. He always answers. Sometimes his answer is yes. Sometimes his answer is no. Sometimes his answer is is, is not yet. I want you to wait just a little while. But I believe our God always has our best interests at heart and so as we begin this new year i want to encourage you to pray prayer changes what is possible i do believe prayer is the most significant thing we can do how do we learn to pray we learn to pray by praying how do we learn to pray better we learn to pray better by praying more let me tell you something very important the end of the day I realize it's impossible to get close to Jesus and stay close to Jesus without developing an intimate daily conversation with him and I want to suggest to you today that that conversation really has two parts that conversation involves scheduled prayer and that conversation involves spontaneous prayer now, I've told you last year that, that I began this, this discipline. I, I've not been always in my life very disciplined with regard to my, my time alone with God. But last year, I, I began a discipline that was very helpful to me, and that is, first thing I'd try to do in the morning was I, I would read a chapter out of a gospel. I started Matthew 1, went through Matthew, then went through Mark, then went through Luke and, and John and so on and I would just read read that gospel and I would read it and ask the Lord Lord what what is it that you need to say to me what is it I should see here what is it that I should should do here and by doing that I was acknowledging that that prayer is a conversation that does not begin with me God is already speaking and I want to listen And then after I'd read the gospel, I would spend time talking to him, asking, seeking, knocking, talking to him about the things on my heart and the things that are on the heart of others, other people in my my life. So I start with scheduled prayer. And here's the thing I've noticed. When I make sure that I'm disciplined in that regard, I spend time with God in prayer, then my spontaneous prayer is better all through the day. Then all through the day as I'm, I'm interacting with people and as I'm having meetings and I'm, I'm doing all the things that I do every day, I'm talking to the Lord about those meetings. I'm, I'm asking God to give me wisdom. I'm asking God to give me insight. I'm asking God to give me clarity and words and, and all the rest. But here's what I found too. When I don't have that scheduled prayer time, I'm not as spontaneous in my, in my prayer. I'm not speaking with the Lord in a spontaneous kind of way. Scheduled prayer, spontaneous prayer. You see, I've found that that I can survive without prayer. I can. But I cannot thrive, spiritually speaking, without prayer. And so the question I want to leave you with today is, are you surviving or are you thriving? 2019, I don't want to thrive spiritually speaking and that happens for me as i begin my day with prayer talking to him asking for things striving to be near